Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Mark Witten, and welcome to another episode of No Acres in a Dream. Uh, and pretty much it's just about, you know, paying a tribute to our ancestors, you know, the millions of Africans that came to America, you know what I mean, that was born and died in slavery, and for those who never received a 40 acres in a mule uh, when they were released. And pretty much what we're doing is we're going into in-depth with some very successful uh, entrepreneurs who came from nothing into something. And today, I got a very, very special guest on the show with me today. I mean, this guy's man, I call him triple OG, quadruple OG, you know what I mean? That's what I call him, man. He's one of West Baltimore's finest. Matter of fact, one of Baltimore's finest, you know? And today, we're going to talk about, you know, how he was able to navigate his way uh, through the music industry and receive success that way. He's also a commercial real estate developer, has a lot of good information to give you guys on how to get started, right? So I want to introduce everybody to my guy, Stokey. My guy, Mark. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. All right. So, Stokely, man, let's get right into it. Uh, when I first met you, man, one of the things that really uh, blew my mind was this book you had, man. Right. I mean, it was so good. It was called White Lock City. Right. And I think you had like three different versions. Maybe well, it was two parts. White Lock City one and White Lock City two. Right. And man, I read both of those books, man. They were so good. I followed up with you, man, because I wanted to get it signed. I was like, yo, this book going to take off you, one you day. You trying to get me republished. I yeah. was republished, but you trying to get it republished and get a, a major distribution deal so they can be all over the world. Right. So, um, so man, tell us, man, what is White Lock City, man? And tell us what that is and what inspired you to write that book. Well, White Lock City is a neighborhood in which I grew up in, and that's where I'm from. And it helped me develop, you know, the survival skill sets I have today. Um, taught me what being a real man was like. I didn't have a father in my life, so I learned a lot from White Lock. And I decided to write a book using a lot of fabricated information to tell a story but not necessarily to reshape the narrative, but just give people an input on what it's like to be in White Lot. So I, I wrote the book and it was, the first one was such a success, everybody wanted me to add more to it, so I just wrote part two. And I mean, that was 20 something years ago, you know, but when you got the book, it was probably, I think like 10 years old. Yeah. You know, so um, I guess it's a timeless feature, you know what I'm saying? But I, I appreciate you, man, wanting to get involved and help me take it to another level, you know? And fortunate enough, you know, it. it turned me into the person or the author I am today because I, you know, started doing documentaries, short films and things like that. But it was based on the motivation that you, you know, instilled in me about my writing skills. Right. So uh, for those of you out there that's watching, for those out there that's listening, man, they might not be from Baltimore, might not be from Baltimore City. They might never never heard of White Lock, man. So what is White Lock, man? Let everybody know what that is. I don't know, what it they call it a city because we had everything we needed in that community, you know, barbershop liquor store, pharmacy, a dentist, you know, mm -hmm. hardware store, supermarket. Probably the only thing we probably didn't have was a gas station. And in that community, you know, you probably didn't have to leave for much. So I developed, again, you know, a lot of healthy, long relationships as I grew up. Um, and, you know, White Lock was a different type of place to grow up in because it has so many different elements, you know. And, you know, sometimes you grow up, you know, you know, you know everybody on the block, and then when they move, you know they move. Why like you might see somebody new every single day because the community was so broad, mm -hmm. and it was a, up, it was a top and bottom that we included into, you know, the Baltimore, and I'm sorry, the, the White Lock City, you know, community. So I mean, it was fun, you know, sports like everybody else, you know, um, wasn't that much violent crime as I can recall because back then when something happened, you would definitely like feel it, you know, you would grieve for months sometimes almost years, it depends on who the person was, but it was a wonderful place to grow up in. 
All right, so let me ask you this, man. Um, somebody uh, who's reached a level of success that you have, I tell people all the time, like, it's all about mindset, right? On my mom's side, I got uh, two brothers, right? One of my brothers passed away. Um, he had cancer. So, hear that, yeah, thank you. So, um, you know, growing up when I was young, man, like, my mom would work, like, three different jobs, right, just to keep a roof over our head. And then at the same time, my brother was home of dying of cancer on hospice, right? So going through that, man, it's like an 11, 12, 13 year old, and then like watching my brother actually die, like when, when he passed away, my mom woke me up and was like, I remember, i never forget, she came in my room and she was like, she was like, Mark, and she turned the light on, she like, yeah, dark no longer with us. And I'm like, huh? So I go in there and he's just laying there, man. So I'm banging walls, I mean, it was it was a rough time for me. And um, I think watching how my mother struggled, you know, just, just to keep a roof over our head really made me, um, like hungry, like it really, like for success, you know what I mean? Like I, I always wanted to try to give my mother everything and I didn't want us to ever have to go through stuff like that. So that kind of ignited my fire to be um, just just a hustler, man, to get out here and really try to turn something into nothing. So what what was it in you, man, that made you feel like, man, I got to really get out here and do this? Like what, what sparked something in you that made your mindset the way that it is to go from where you were to where you at now? I mean, it was failure. For me, um, growing up again, making some poor decisions, you know, I lived in a community where some of the things that was going on was inescapable, you know. And I always thought I was a leader, but sometimes when you follow people, you can't really classify yourself as a leader if you're doing what somebody else is doing. So, you know, again, I made some poor decisions. It took me away, you know, to prison for 12 years. And when I was in prison, I had a lot of time to think about what I want to do with the rest of my life. Because, you know, it wasn't like I was going to be there forever. Right. So there was some premeditated thoughts on success and trying to be an entrepreneur or rather follow my college to, you know, intuitions and being, you know, a psychologist and things like that because I studied psychology. But I knew that wasn't like maybe my purpose. It probably was a passion. So I wanted to find a way to do what made me happy. And that was first helping people. And through helping people, I learned the love for music, you know, and marketing and management and things like that. So I just put my best foot forward. I used my relationships and my resources and, you know, prayed a lot, and then God seen fit for me to be in some wonderful big rooms with some people who, who really had my best interests. And, and I think that's the difference between me and a lot of the people who increase the recidivism. They don't really have the help that's needed to make you go through that transition, because it's, ne it's definitely necessary, or you will repeat your mistakes. So yeah. I just was hungry and determined, man, to make my kids proud. I didn't want to go back down that road I went before because it was long, it was dark, it was lonely, and I don't wish that on anyone, but I decided to change my thinking, which impacted my behavior, and the results started to come to fruition, you know. So for me, you know, it's, some people say you don't like what you've been through, you know. I can identify with that, because every day is a struggle to stay successful, because we live in a city where as though, you know, we are the ones that's targeted, you know, and coming from where I come from, it's hard for people to believe I made a legal transition. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we was talking earlier about relocating and moving, why that decision was prominent, because Sometimes you don't want to have to worry about your past. You want to worry about your future. You know, sometimes the present don't give you that ammunition to move forward. And sometimes a friend of mine told me, if you don't know what to do, just sit still, right? So sometimes sitting still helps me understand which decision to make next. And hopefully it'd be the better decision out of the, the two if I have an option, you know? Yeah. So I know that you are, you're a great marketer. I know that you also do commercial real estate, got a few restaurants and stuff like that. And I want to talk about that. But the main thing I wanted to talk to you about today is your passion for helping people be successful business people, be successful in the music business, right? 
I know that that's something you've been doing for quite some time now, found a lot of success in it. And kind of what I want to do is just reach people out there who really have a passion for uh, for, the, for the arts, the, you know, music, uh, entertainment, and um, but they don't know how to get started, man. Like they don't know anything about the music business. They don't know anything about the entertainment business, marketing. You know, they just probably watching right now or, or listening on Apple Podcasts or something like that. And they trying to get some game, man. They trying to get some information on how to be uh, successful in the music business, man. Whether you be a manager, whether you got a production company, whether you uh, doing anything with your own label, just right. pretty much how to get money. Because I know growing up, I used to want to do it, man. I didn't know anything about it, you know. So if I would have had somebody like you around that could have taught me the business side of it and not just wanting to hang around and, you know what I mean, stuff like that, how I can actually get some money, that would have been perfect, you know. And, we, and you and I talked about it and the things you wanted to do. So that's kind of what I wanted to focus on with this conversation, man. So like, I'm a, so I'm gonna put myself in that back in that situation years ago, 20 years ago, when I was trying to get involved in music and I didn't know anything, right? So let's just say I, I met you and I'm like, yeah, Stoke, man, I'm really trying to get in this business, but I don't know nothing. Can can you mentor me? <laughs> yeah. So first of all, that's that's the that's the key. Like I got in music because of my son. It was an accident. You know, it wasn't nothing I did on purpose. I didn't go apply for a job. I didn't, you know, seek out help to become, you know. This, this mogul, my son was in the music and I wanted him to be successful. And I did research and I realized that 85, 90% of music is business. Mm -hmm. And I knew that my son wasn't equipped with the ammunition nor the answers to succeed, you know, with that music endeavor. So I wanted to make sure that I did, you know, right by him. I didn't want to be a disservice sitting around knowing I can help him and I didn't. So I started studying the music business. I know we needed a, a business attorney. You know, we did that first, you know, then you need some real good, um, people in your corner and you need some luck. Sometimes people think that they got talent and it may be to them, but not to, you know, the overall society, you know, and everybody don't think that you're the next nobody, so they don't support that. So my son had um, some very early success. I thought that he had an opportunity to change his life with music. I didn't want him to go through what I went through, so I wanted to be a part of his business, you know, side. and. I did that, and then lo and behold, a few people noticed what I was doing with my son, or what was happening with my son, and they thought I was directly responsible, which I really wasn't, because my son has always been hands-on during his whole career, and he asked me the most important questions, and I'm glad I was able to be here to help him. So a young man, you know, by the name of Lil Skies, came to me by way of a friend of mine named Craig, and I thought that he would be the next Michael Jackson of hip-hop. I just need to put him in the right room, you know. And we had some early success and things went um, right, right well at the very beginning, you know, and I was blessed with that opportunity. You know, we made lots of money. I met lots of friends and resources and created, you know, very holistic relationships. But music is tough. You know, music is tough because you have about 1.89 million people that drop songs and mm -hmm. drop music and only 1% get the platform. So the other 96, 97% people are independent artists or trying to find their way. And you got publishing deals, you got, you know, artist development deals. You got a lot of different opportunities in music, but you know, the money is not free, it's an advancement. You know what I'm saying? It's not like a signing bonus. A lot of guys don't understand that. And if you're not someone who can sell music digitally or virally very well, then you probably gonna have to depend on shows. Mm. If you can't get a show, then they're gonna probably have a contract created for you, which is a 360 endorsement that comes into your contract, whereas they get money off everything you pretty much make. A lot of kids don't own their royalty, so the label own that, and you just become a puppet to the industry, right? But it looks good on social media. It looks good, you know, 
for what you're driving at the moment. A lot of these kids walk away broke. Look, a lot of artists now, if they don't have very um, early successful success in general, then a lot of them are living backwards, you know, in debt and things of that nature, you know, because they spend the money so fast, they think it's going to continue to come. So what I decided to do is help people, even in Baltimore, do showcases to bring talent to another level and bring some attention to it. Because Baltimore has been like a clandestine city for so long. And like, we don't really have a lot of successful artists that's from here that left and came back and grabbed everybody else. If you think about Baltimore from a holistic perspective, we only got like one of everything. Mm -hmm. We don't have a plethora of boxers, a plethora of basketball players, a plethora of football players. We got one or two good ones and the rest, you know, a lot of us don't know about. And I mean, I wanted to try to change that. So for music, again, you know, I, I go back and look at all my relationships, my resources, and you know, my brother Emery, he's like, we ain't, we don't want to do no music. It's, it's, it's too difficult and problematic. But we thought if it made sense to help my son, then we're going to do that. And that's where it all started, with helping my son. He has had a very successful career independently. You know, he got relationships with a lot of people in the game. Um, and I, I still think he has a lot to discover about, you know, himself and the world need to know that he's definitely not someone that, you know, had his time. I think his time has not come. I think being from Baltimore, he reached a certain plateau, but I think the world has yet to see what he can do and become as an artist. So I'm excited about that. But music is so universal. You know, sometimes, you know, you find people like, you know, from Baltimore, like we got the kid, Brett Fias. He's a very good, successful star. But a lot of kids don't really know about him, but then he has a very broad base of people who do. And he's very successful. But you won't know that if you're not Instagram savvy, you know, or you're not getting in trouble, you know. So that's the unfortunate part about the music landscape, from my perspective, at least coming from Baltimore. All right. So you mentioned a publishing deal, and you mentioned something about royalties. Can you let us know what is a publishing deal? What are royalties? Well, I mean, okay, a lot of people don't understand the difference between distribution and publishing, BMI, ASCAP, you know, and royalties. Royalties, if you own your music, and I think at least twice or three times a year, you, you should get, if your music is selling and you own it, you should get a royalty check from the sales of your music for, forever and ever and ever, unless you sell your rights or you sell your royalties, you know what I'm saying? Or someone buys them from you. Or sometimes they can even lease them, you know, however it go. Publishing is like a book. They publish your music in different places. And, you know, as an agent for you, they collect your money and they give you a certain percentage of that. You know, distribution is someone who just solely distributes your music all over whether it be on platforms, in movies, and so forth. You know, then you got people like BMI Asset who tracks down where your music is being played at and make sure that all the dividends are being paid. So, I mean, it's, it's a lot of information out there to know as an artist, but once you have people who got your best interest, who you can trust, who understand exactly what they're doing, I mean, because it's a lot of hard work. A lot of managers don't get money unless the artists get money. Mm -hmm. You got moms, this managers who get in the way, and sometimes taint their kid career. You got dads, you got brothers, you got you know a lot of different people, friends who don't know what manager consists of. You know, so being a manager consists of is what I'm saying. But I mean, but for the most part, if you're successful in music and you understand how much time and longevity is as an artist, you'll start to invest your money in other things. Because I mean, you think about it, you, you're not gonna grow old in music. Because your, your, your demographic going to grow with you. You know what I'm saying? They might go back and play some of the music that was good to them at the time. But like, mm -hmm. think about it. You're not running to the front of a, a, a Coliseum or a concert. You know what I'm saying? That's not, no. you know, but, you know, your son might. So yeah. it depends on your target demographic. But for the most part, like, all those 
business endeavors that come along with being an artist is very important to follow and pay attention to because it involves your money. All right, so let me ask you this. Um, in your opinion, right, uh, what do you think what do you think would be the best thing to invest in right now? Um, and hold on, I'm going to cut you off. The reason why I'm saying I'm asking you is because you said over time you would you know look to start to invest your money into other things, right? So what are some of those other things that you would recommend you know people look to invest in? So so it depends on that's that's not necessarily a broad question. But for me, I always say invest in yourself, and the reason why I say that because you know what's good for you. And you know what's good to you. And sometimes, like I always tell my sons, I don't want to be the next nobody. I want to be the first me. But I don't mind following winners. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of people I look up to that I respect. And I love their success stories. You know, Jay-Z being one of them, I know him personally. So I, I don't have to look far to say what he did right or what he did wrong. And some people, you got to go dig through, you know, that story to figure out how they got where they where they are. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. what they did to make it, you know? Because everybody make a different 10-second decision, you know? And for me, when I think about real estate, you know, you know, that's something that, you know, people can always invest in because other than a recession, it always improved its worth, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, again, you got people who want to invest in stocks, you know, whether it be a, a certain particular business endeavor, makeup, you know, movies, whatever it may be. For me, I try to invest in myself. And what I mean by that is whatever I think makes sense at that time, which it has to absolutely make sense, I'm going to invest in. And I never really had a partner, someone who gave me money or funded anything for me, you know. And it always been hard-earned money, you know. And I don't want to never use the mud analogy, but that's true. And people don't necessarily, never, don't necessarily understand what that feels like, you know. When you put your all into something that you want to come to fruition and sometimes it don't work out as fast as you like, you wish you would have done something different. You know, I believe in God first. And I say everything happened for a reason. So, and it's a parable. You know, it's, it's an Islamic prayer would say, what's meant to hit you going to hit you, what's meant to miss you going to miss you, right? Mm -hmm. And that's how I feel. So for me right now, it's just trying to invest in something that you know makes sense. Because sometimes it's long-term investment, short-term investment. You know, it depends on what you're trying to get at the moment. If you say, oh, Stoke, I want to set a little markup, well, buy a few houses and let them stay. And then when Mark get 18, 19, you can cash them in and see what Mark want to do. Mark might not want to be in houses, right? Or you for your other son, you might say, you know what? I'm going to invest in this uh, alcohol brand, you know. And some things be temporary and some things don't. It depends on you and what your financial needs are at this time or what your objective is. Some people want to own things forever, right? Yeah. And then you got people who want to flip things and say, no, I need money now to do this so I can do that, you know. I'm one of them people, man, who really want to just find a way to help people and invest in things that make sense at the time because money don't make me happy, right? It just gave me the resource to do things I need to do to survive and be comfortable. And as I said earlier, you know, even trying to find a place to live can be difficult for people like us because you want to make sure that you don't put yourself in harm's way. And that's not saying that something's going to happen to you because you did something wrong. That means people don't always accept your success. Mm. You know, and then you got to make those decisions for your family, for your peace of mind so you can sleep at night and not worry about just being considered, you know, a sellout, right? You know, well, he left. Well, sometimes that's the best thing to do. So for me, Investing in things that you are very passionate about and you have information that's going to help you become successful, whatever that endeavor is. So let me ask you this, man. Um, you uh, you do every summer you had the Never Give Up, um, was it like a festival? I know you got basketball court, basketball games. And I didn't mean to say basketball court. You get everybody right. on the court. Basketball court. Yeah. I know what you mean. In basketball games and, and kind of you do that for your community. So what... 
Where did that come from? The never give up. Where, well, tell me I about. had a, a mentor, still a mentor, you know, a guy named Tyrone Gaines, you know. And as I was coming up, they used to have these summer basketball tournaments. And I couldn't wait to hang the nuts up for the guys and sit mm -hmm. on the bench because I felt like I was a part of a family, you know. And mm -hmm. It was this camaraderie in the community that was like no other. You know, they had conflicts of being on the basketball court. I'm going to give you 40, you know, I'm going to cross you. There wasn't no beef or anything like that, you know. And wasn't nothing problematic that would cause you not to want to be there. Everybody had music. So when I got released, I said, I'm going to try. Um, and Ricky Williams was the part of Tyrone Games. They was partners. They did in this, this Reservoir Hill Community Center that they used to work from. And they would, you know, award and afford people opportunities to play basketball in the summer. So when I got released, I said the first thing I'm gonna do is try to bring that back, at least for a weekend. Because White Lock has so much history, I felt like one day we're doing a disservice. So I said three days would give us the opportunity to really give everybody time to come and have fun and enjoy themselves. So Friday, you know, we might have games and Saturday we have games and get food away and, and give everybody a chance to perform if they are entertained and things like that. So it was kind of like a mini festival, which, you know, but, and I used to call it the White Lock Summer Festival because that's what you know, I felt it should be called. But I did that because I wanted to keep um, the legacy alive in that community because they did it for me, so I wanted to do it for the other kids who didn't have a chance to play basketball or get free food and listen to music and have a good time. Okay. So um, so also, man, and I want to talk to you about the commercial real estate development uh, in a little bit, but I kind of want to switch gears for a second. Uh, you ran for mayor not too long ago, right? Uh, mayor for Baltimore you made City. Me do that. <laughs> but but what made you do that, man? Like what made you want to run for mayor? You know, um it was an easy decision based on the trajectory of Baltimore City at that time. And I felt like I wanted to show young men who was desensitized and hopeless and disenfranchised what change looked like. Cause I was one of them before. I used to be where they were, where I was hopeless, you know what I'm saying? And didn't have uh, a future in sight, and I wanted to blame everybody for my mistakes. So I realized that sometimes in life, you have to show people what change look like. You mm -hmm. can talk about all you want, but if you show somebody something, it's that's the better example. Yeah, I agree. And it wasn't necessarily running for mayor. That just was the opportunity to use that platform to let people see that if I could be here running for mayor after what I've been through, mom died at age, my father wasn't in my life, went to jail for. 12 years, you know, people gave up on me, counted me out, you know what I'm saying, and all those type of things. If I can come back from that and find the power or willpower to put myself back on solid ground and write books and documentaries and have some of the most successful friends in the world today, so can you, but you had to first change your thinking. I was hopeful that, honestly, that I wouldn't win because I didn't want that responsibility. <laughs> but I did enough for guys like you helped me, who know, you know, you motivated me financially, you know, personally, you know, you know, all over, all around the board to be a better person, to put myself in that situation, to even say I want to run for mayor. Because, you know, at first, when you go Google somebody, it, it shows you a federal appeal case, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Now they might say, oh, this guy is a former candidate for mayor. Right. And I, I feel good about that because now my kids can be proud of something that I actually done in real time. And although today you still think it's something I should do, which I won't, but <laughs> I feel like it was, it was, the time was right. Yeah. You no, know, I had already accomplished so many things financially in the music business. I had a reputation for being a give person to give back. You know, um, they, most people knew I changed my life around, and there were some who didn't. And there was some that was hopeful that someone who came from where they come from 
can be involved and engaged, you know, and change, you know, the, the, the complexion of politics in Baltimore because it's always seemed like it's so messy and corrupt. And a lot of people who are elected and selected to fix the problem can't relate to it. They got to find somebody else who can. Yeah. And like right now, we have a social economic problem in Baltimore where the young kids out here are committing crimes mostly for money. And they hope it's because they don't see nobody like them who can get them information on how to make better decisions. I mean, it don't have to always come from the school system. And we know what our school system is like. I mean, for years and years and years, our schools were plagued with you know, harsh conditions, no air conditioning, no heating, things yeah. of that nature, right? And a lot of kids go to school now just to eat. So I just wanted to be an example to some folks, young folk, black male, you know, specifically on what change looked like. Like, if you know my story and what I've been through, then we don't really have to keep making excuses. We can just put our best foot forward, you know, try to use our relationships and connect with guys like you who want to help, who has a beautiful heart, and then see what happens. Because you, you can't sit back forever and blaming everybody for where you are, you know. It's, it's not going to change, you know. You got to want the change that you seek. And people don't want to care about how much you know. They want to know how much you care. They don't know how much you know, how smart you is. That happens all day long, you know. I grew up in a neighborhood where there's a... When a white person knocked on my door, they was three things, you know what I'm saying? A Jehovah Witness, a police or insurance man, you know? Mm -hmm. So now when you see somebody come in your neighborhood, you know, you you're not even you don't even care who it is because you don't think help coming anyway, you know what I'm saying? So I just want to show kids what change looks like, and I want to use that platform. Because I can give you a parable analogy about being on the roof. If you're on the roof and I walk and you walk and you walk down, I go, Mark, you're gonna look up and at first you're like, what the hell are you up there doing? Because you know you don't really belong. That's not, that's, that's not normalized. People live on roofs. You know what I'm saying? You know, he might be working on the roof, but he, you know he up there for a reason. If they see me at that platform, then I had their attention. Mm. And what I did with their attention was on me. I can convey a message of hope. You know, I can convey a message of change. Or I can say, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to try to be redundant and do the same thing I've been doing that got me in this, in this place in the first, I mean, got me in the situation in the first place. But I decided to use that platform as something positive and show God what change looked like. So let me ask you this, man. Um, currently, and it's been going on for a while, man, we have a, a serious problem um, in our community, man, with guns, right? Gun right. violence. Uh, it seemed like every day somebody getting murdered in Baltimore City. I mean, this is across the country, though, not just in Baltimore. I mean, you know, St. Louis, New Orleans, uh, Miami, Atlanta. Like, you know, this is a, it's a problem going on all across the country. If you could get, say, a, a, a auditorium full of 500 killers, you know what I mean? Like real guys out there do, putting in work, doing what they doing and all that, right? What would you say to them? Well, a, a lot of young men was raised by women and they emotional and they desensitized and they hopeless. And when conflict arrived, they act instead of think. And... Being from Baltimore, seeing 300 plus homicides every year for the last seven years is troubling. And it's problematic because the ones who can fix it can, but they can't because they don't have a megaphone or platform that some elected and selected officials have. So if I was in a position as an auditorium, I was talking to potential killers or people who commit crime or violence, I would ask them to think about you know, the long-term effect, whether it be going to prison you know, or you being retaliated against taking you from your kids or your loved ones. Because at the end of the day, most of the problems, you know, that they have could be honestly talked out. It might not feel good, but I've been in prison with grown men cry. 
And that's something you really don't see in prison a lot because mm. you don't want to seem weak and lethargic, right? Yeah. So you try to cover that up. But for the most point, part I would try to tell guys to change your thinking, man, you know, and evolve. You have to evolve and grow and mature and understand that you're not demigods. Gods don't give you power. And that might be over their head in terms of the, the audience, but sometimes you got to speak the truth to light. You know, you can't think that it's okay. And a lot of people don't even worry about religion or theology. Like, I'm worried about the moment. Like, so I don't want to hear that God stuff. No, but I'm saying to you is that, listen, you know, you have sons and daughters, you know, and you don't want that to happen to your children. Why do it to someone else? And if you have a conflict with somebody, call an OG up and say, man, to get involved. Man, listen, I don't want that guy hurt me. I don't want him. That's what we used to do. The system worked. We used to squash beefs. You know, that there's uh, all type of ultimatums, you know, that can come into play if you got the right person that could do it. I mean, you think about Donald Trump lit a fire, you know, for making America great again. And they say, you know, everybody want to walk around who support him thinking that America can be great again. America's yeah. fine. Right. You know, I mean, we got some of the craziest politics and rules and regulations in the world, you know, prison systems and all that. But I'm saying the, the, the average person that lives in the United States is, is fine. So when you got a person with that type of power, not him, anyone who got leadership potential or platform who can speak truth to light and give everybody hope like you do with real estate, it's the same difference. It depends on the person that they look into and the person they respect. And I always tell people, you know, respect, you know, trust and relationship, man, will get you anywhere in the world. And I think if they respect you, they're going to listen. They trust you, they're going to follow you. And they relate to you, they're going to believe in you. And it's that simple. But it's hard when someone took someone from you and you're trying your best not to retaliate. Mm. You need more than a conversation. You need you know, God, you need faith, you need support. Yeah. Because that's, that hurt, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And you know, I, I watch you go through something with a guy that you lost, and you're not a street guy, but it hurt the same, you know? Yeah. And I mean, the intentions may be different for somebody die of cancer like your sibling, or somebody being taken away, but it's still the same pain. Right. But the intention behind it really charges your brain on how you're gonna respond to it, right? So for me, being in the city of Baltimore, seeing more friends than graduations is very troublesome, but I try to find ways to incite these kids to do positivity through my own actions. So if I lead by example, then they can follow. If I go out here and do the same thing and I'm a hypocrite, then I can't expect them to do different things different. That's a fact. So um, I'm gonna jump back to the, uh, to the, to the real estate uh, piece. So you have a few restaurants, right? Um, I know you got a carry out, you got the, the restaurant, uh, Silks, yeah, right? right. Um, shout out to Silk too, man, rest in it's peace, man. Um, I thought that was a very uh, just great thing you did, man, in his honor. Um, for those of people out there that's watching and listening right now, and they want to get involved in the restaurant business or the don't hospital. <laughs> don't, don't, don't. don't. What, what, what can you say about it, man? Well, honestly, man, um, the deli, you know, was purchased in 2021. My best friend, Tony, she was working there and she was a cashier. And I went there one day, she was so distraught and I could see stress and she's like, you know, she's just tired of the environment, you know, like, well, you know, what's wrong? And then a few weeks later, she talked, she said, you know, I'm just tired of working. I want something different, you know, I don't really see no growth. So an opportunity came to me where the guy was selling the store and he thought I was playing. So I said, you know what, let me, let me just buy the store, you know, I think it's a good investment it's in the food desert. My vision for it is bigger than what it is today. It was just a deli for him. For me, it was going to be much more. So I purchased in June of 2021, and it just was a, a corner store. But I tried you know, to, to me, a compound. It's a barbershop upstairs now, beauty salon, a social lounge. You know, we got the deli downstairs, you know, and another little store 
step, I think, you know, might be, my daughter might be selling frozen cups of snow or something, I don't know. But yeah. it was a good investment at the time, but the, the rest of my business is tough because, you know, you got to always think about pleasing people. The turnover, turnover rate is high in terms of losing cashiers and cooks and things like that. But for me, I just want to award and afford people opportunities, man, grow, but make it pay for itself and make it make sense. Because at the end of the day, that is an investment. So at the end of the day, I don't want to die over stress. But if it don't make sense, then I need to get out and do something different. I think it will make sense with the right people. It starts to me with the right people. You get the right people who believe in you, your vision, who's trustworthy, and who's willing to do their due diligence to make sure the job get done, opposed to making excuses and you know being lazy. Then you know you won't have problems that way. But if you find people who really want to be a part of your growth and your vision and believe, you know, in what you're doing. It can be very successful. Silks, as you say, was in the memory of my friend, you know, who passed away. I want his legacy to live beyond um, a joke, which we should do every single day, you know. And now, no matter what happens, I felt like I, I made him proud, you know. Yeah, for The sure. name was first struggling with be my grandma. No, no, nah, nah, we're going to use Silk, you know. And again, I love him. I miss him so much, you know. And every day, I feel like he's alive and well because of Silk. You know, and it's a new restaurant. The projections are right high. It's in a very good location in Towson. You've been there several times. Um, you know, got some of the best partners in the world, you know, who smarter than me, who helped me make the decisions that need to be made to move the needle. And, you know, they challenge me every day, you know, to do things right, you know. And it's tough. It's very tough financially because you got to spend your own money. And they say your new business don't show growth in three years. You know, that can be true. But I'm trying to change that if we just make the right decisions at the right time with the right people and stay hopeful, man, and, and stay, like, you got to stay close. You got to take, because people are subject to change. And I, I learned that the hard way. And you can be good today and tomorrow you can be down, you know what I'm saying? And it depends on the people. But you like, yesterday I felt good. I had a, a trying moment because my sons were actually in the kitchen with me because, you know, one of our cooks called out. But they wasn't in there trying to cook. They was in there trying to help. And that that made it all worth to me because people always say don't use family. Well, I ain't lying. It went for my family sometimes. I don't know where I would be. Right. You know. So the rest of our business is a good business to be in. You know, if it, you got the right people working with you, working for you. You know, then hopefully longevity will be attached to it. But if not, if you're doing it just for something to do, and you don't have the right people, it's going to be a lot of headaches. All right, man. So uh, before we wrap it up. Uh, is there anything out there, um, you know, for those people who are watching, those people who are listening, man, for those people out there, anything you want to say? We no, man, I just want to, you know, thank you for this opportunity. You know, we need more platforms like this, not just in Baltimore, but in general. A lot of people have very holistic stories that need to be told. Um, they write passionate about what they do in life. I know you speak about slavery and where we come from, but, you know, being successful is not a given. You know, it's hard. It's take dedication. Take commitment. It take prayer. You know, it take good people that believe in you, man, and want to support you no matter what. And that ain't always a given. Like I was telling my friend about you, man. You have supported me since the day I met you, and I wouldn't miss this interview for nothing in the world. You know, appreciate it, man. And I mean, like you never asked me for anything but to try to help me help people. You know, and that's something man, you always did well at. And I just like think that you know, for this to be, you know, something that you are very passionate about, I pray that it goes beyond your expectations. I think Thank it's you. one of the most successful Thank podcasts that's out because I think what you're going to do is give real people a chance to tell real stories. For sure. And, and I think that's needed, especially nowadays with everybody fabricating information, they're trying to be the next somebody else. Right. Instead of being the first themselves. So 
No, that's that's basically it, man. I just appreciate you, man. I wish you the best, appreciate man. You. Thank you for having me. All right, thanks a lot, Stoke. So yeah, everybody, Stokey candidate. Thank y'all for turning it, tuning in to No Acres in a Dream. I'm your host, Mark Witten, and I see y'all next time.